Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jonathan DeYo. He is president of DeYo Wealth Management. Uh, he also has a website called happinessdividend.com, and he's the author of a new book called Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks, Jordan. So let's start with a little bit of your background. You've been in the, the money management business for a long time, but you also have a different kind of angle on it. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Uh, so, Jordan, about 25 years ago, I actually moved to California from the Midwest to study comparative religion and Buddhist phenomenology. I ended up in 7th century Buddhist phenomenology, which meant basically we were studying from you know ancient Buddhist scriptural texts the way we interface with the world. And what does that have to do with it all? Nothing at that point. Uh, and you know, fast forward about three, four years, my wife at the time said, hey, Jonathan, it's my time, my turn to go uh, get some get some schooling, get some graduate programs. I said, great. And I went and found a job. And, you know, I had sort of dropped out of a degree in Buddhist studies and no job for that. So went to Dean Witter and Dean Witter hired me. And the next six years I spent at seven different Wall Street firms, uh, three, four out of mergers, three, four out of choice. Uh, and then finally, in 2001, I set, set up my own practice, and I've been practicing with the key components of financial planning and education and a real big downside uh, push uh, against, hey, outperformance, 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 because I, I just don't believe it's possible. So um, in the last, I guess, what's that, 16 years, uh, 17 years, uh, I've been independent, working directly with people on their planning and just teaching them about finances from the from the side of, you know, being mindful. So tell us about your experience at the brokerage firms. What did you like about it, not like about it, and why did you want to leave it to set up your own firm? <laughs> so this, that's a show in and of itself. Uh, so every everywhere I went, I, I learned a new lesson. Uh, just a couple couple things I'll highlight. Um, one of the things, this was at uh, this was at Morgan Stanley, probably two, you know, well, sorry, 1997, 1998. So I started at Dean Witter, and Morgan Stanley merged with Dean Witter probably three months after I got there. And you might remember, 19, late 90s, um, Dean Witter was, they had the mutual fund um, uh, complex, and Morgan Stanley had a whole bunch of product they were manufacturing. And they needed a place to put that product. Dean Witter said, hey, we'll package it up in mutual funds, and we'll, and we'll give that to the public. So 97, 98, there was a manager, um, we called him the ice man. He walked around the halls every single day and said, okay, guys, we need you to place, you know, this amount of such and such mutual fund into your client's account today. Cause this is what we're moving. This is what we're moving. So that's, you know, what I, the lesson there is working for a wall street firm. And I'm going to assume it's kind of similar for a, for a banking environment. You've got two bosses, right? You've got your client on one hand, but you got your boss who's walking around telling you what you're supposed to do on the other hand. Uh, and those two things might be aligned sometimes aren't always. And so there's a conflict there and that's a, that's a big problem. Um, and that's one of the big lessons I learned. There's, there's a bunch of other ones that, that are interesting stories in and of themselves, but it would take a lot of time to go through. So them. that was hard for you to do. You didn't believe in the product of the day, particularly. And no. you want to do your own thing. And, and that didn't mean you met your quotas and got you into trouble, I assume. 
I, I didn't, I did enough of other stuff. So I didn't get in a lot of trouble. I just, I didn't do that stuff. Um, but you did, you do enough other stuff and you do enough business in general. You talk to enough people and you're, you're, you're working hard enough. They, they love the fact that you're working really hard and you're doing stuff. They do, you know, call you into the manager's office and say, Hey, you know, we, we need some more 5% commission business here. And that was unfortunate because that's, that's, that was the meeting that finally made me leave the industry entirely. Okay. So you, you left the industry. And so what did you want to do differently from what you'd been through when you set up your own firm? Uh, the idea of being compensated to move money from point A to point B, not to give people good ideas about what they should be doing, um, seemed counterintuitive. It, it, it didn't seem to be in service of the client, even though, um, the, the word of the day was, you know, make sure you do this for the client, make sure you do this for the client, make sure you do this for the client. But it, it just seemed disingenuous to say that and to say, hey, we also need more high commission business. Uh, I, I couldn't see the two working together. So what is your, is your business set up as a registered investment advisor now or how are you structured? Yeah, yeah we're a registered investment advisor. Um, you know, and, and I mean this, so I should, I should back up one sec. There are people there. There's 90, there were 90 people in the, in that firm at Morgan Stanley who, you know, Probably half a dozen of them were great people, took really good care of their clients, ignored management, were fantastic people. And you, and you could trust those people to do the right thing. I don't, I'm not sure how you sift through and get to those people. Um, and I'm structured as an RIA today. And I think that that's a better structure in terms of, you know, fiduciary responsibility and all those kinds of things. But I think that there's plenty of RIAs out there that aren't always in the best interest, you know, aren't always looking out for the best interest of their clients either. So you can find trusted people anywhere. Um, and you can also find a lot of people that are not, they're out, out to make money for themselves. Uh, uh, I do think figure out the difference in advance. That's, that's, you know, that's the million dollar question. I think that listening to shows like this, listening to pure educational programming and then walking in and saying, you know, does this pass the smell test? If people are promising you the moon um, and promising you, oh yeah, there's no problem. Oh, you don't have to make any. You don't have to make any kind of trade-offs. I'd say that's probably someone that's selling you something. But it's very difficult to tell because the, the, the salespeople are really well trained and really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell us through. The, we're going to get into your book in a moment, but can of tell us the process you take a client through when they join you and uh, before you actually invest any money? Kind of tell us how the the process works. Sure. So usually we get, you know, clients come to us via referral from current clients. And when they call, the first time they call, usually the client will call us and say, hey, you expect a call from so-and-so. And when so-and-so calls, um, we do a 30-minute just quick conversation on the phone. Hey, tell us about what your needs are. Tell us about, you know, what your sort of hopes and dreams are. And let's see if that's something that we can actually do. Uh, and if it is, uh, great. We'll send them out some information about us, ask them to send a profile back to us that asks all kinds of qualitative and quantitative questions. Um, if if it's not, if that if that point they are you know, more interested in an insurance policy or more interested in something that we don't do, uh, or we get the sense that they're really interested in you know, uh, you know a, a better trading program, then we'll introduce them to somebody else that might might be able to provide some of that stuff. Uh, but then, so they fill out this profile, they send it back to us, we review it, we call them and schedule a time to sit down, sort of explore fit. 
Uh, and this is just another chance to sit down face to face and kind of go through. This is the kind of stuff we do. We're very educational. We host all these events. It's really important that you come to these things because this is how you're. This is how we're going to educate you both on our process and on you know markets, economies, what you can predict, what you can't predict. Um, we also need to see you twice a year so that we can do some really in-depth review of your, uh, you know, finances, what's changed, all those kinds of things. Uh, and then, you know, if if you can sort of agree with that, come in, talk to us a lot uh, and be on board with the process, then we begin the planning process. And the planning process can take three or four meetings and we basically line up everything, design a cash flow for your life, talk about all the trade-offs that you might have to go through. I want to retire early, so maybe I can't send my kids to the greatest private schools. Uh, maybe they have to come up with some money on their own. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, we talk about talk about um, all the trade-offs you might experience uh, in your life. And then at the end of that planning process, we have sort of agreed upon plan. And then once we have that plan in place, we start the process of, you know, transferring assets, you know, referring some insurance out there if somebody needs some, some kind of insurance and getting that plan in place. And then, and this is where the biggest part is, uh, you know, the workload on someone like myself is behavior management. It's, it's really getting people to do the things that lead to the things that they said they wanted to have in the beginning. And that's, and so who is the ideal client who can be behavior managed by you? <laughs> who is the witch? The ideal client. The ideal client. To, to your behavior management. Well, they have to have a uh, – well, okay. So I think about this all the time. What, what, is, what is the ideal client uh, and as opposed to who really needs an advisor? And I think that people that have some complexity, um, they're maybe j just entering that point of, hey, we're about to retire – or um, they have a business that they want to have some su succession planning with, or and and this is this is probably the biggest point. They want someone there. It's not just that you know they feel they need it because I think many people can actually do this, but most people that I that I work with us don't want to do it. They don't want to think about this. They want somebody else to do it. It's just, this is a service business, uh, and they want us to say, hey, uh, John, you know. They want to come to me and say, you know, Jonathan, I'm thinking about giving this $50,000 gift to my church. Should I do that? And what, what happens to me, you know, 10 years from now if I do that? And when we have a plan, we can basically ask the plan those questions and run those numbers and see, you know, all else being equal, how that affects them, how that affects what they leave to their kids, how that affects the next 10 years of giving that they might have. So you're in the Berkeley area. Do you only see clients in person or do you have clients all over the country? Uh, I've got, we meet clients for the first time here. Almost, almost hundred percent of the people we work with were here to begin with, and then they move. So we've got clients all over the country. We actually have clients internationally. Um, and the reason is we met them here and then they moved to France or they moved to the UK or they moved to Mexico or they moved to Portland, Oregon, or they move all over the place. So they, yeah. and we, they stay with us. So, and tell us about your fee structure and what is the minimum you need to be working with you as an RIA? Uh, as an RIA, well, there's, there's, I guess we didn't really talk about this beforehand. There's two different, two different basic businesses that I have. The one is the DO Wealth Management uh, business, and that's the face-to-face -face that we've been talking about so far here. And that's a million-dollar minimum. That's you know um, meeting face-to-face -face and all the planning, everything that goes with goes with that. Happiness dividend. You know, one of the challenges in our industry, and this is one of my frustrations just growing up in this industry, is everybody moves up market. 
And I have moved up market four different times and four different times I found a way to, to, to provide some basic financial services to people like my parents that wouldn't be um, great clients for us here just because of we've got, you know, we've got seven people in the office here to serve 200 clients. And that's, you know, we spend a lot of time on each individual plan and each, each individual client. But there's a lot of people like my folks who have questions. Right. They have they've got needs and they may not be complex needs, but they're going to get sold stuff if they go someplace and say, go to a bank or go to a brokerage. Hey, I got questions about retirement. Oh, yeah, you buy this, do this, whereas they need advice. And so happiness dividend is actually uh, a place to go for some basic free stuff um, and links to places where you get free information. And we provide a lot of stuff and there's a blog and there's a bunch of, um, workbooks and, and worksheets you can work on. At the same time, there's also uh, a link to our digital advisor and there's a link to hourly financial planning, which is no product at all, just financial planning. And so, okay, we're going to get, uh, come back to that in more detail about what happiness, happiness dividends about, but we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jonathan Duyo. He is the president of Duyo Wealth Management based in Berkeley, California. He also has a website called happinessdividend.com and a book called Mindful Money. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jonathan Duyo. He is president of Duyo Wealth Management based in Berkeley, California. He also has a website called happinessdividend.com and also a book called Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan. Thank you. So there's something uh, out there called the fiduciary rule, and we talked about fiduciaries a little bit, that the Labor Department 
was going to go ahead with it, may not. It's not clear. What do you think about this switch of having most all financial advisors become fiduciaries? I think it's critical, but I think it's going it, to, it, because of all the press about the fiduciary rule, about the DOL rule, um, I, I think it's coming, period, whether or not the government does it or not. I think that people are getting more and more educated about well, and I have to admit, I live in a bubble. I live in Berkeley, California, where everyone reads all the news all the time. So I'm sure there are places in the country where that's not necessarily the case. And for them, the fiduciary rule is absolutely critical. I cannot imagine uh, any decent arguments against it uh, in terms of working with, you know, face-to-face with general public. Uh, Yet the Wall Street people were violently against it and, and tremendously, a lot of resistance to the whole thing. Why yeah, are they the, resisting this? Well, it's well. Most of Wall Street. I just I just did a talk on this not too long ago. I think it's like three hundred and three hundred sixty thousand uh, brokers versus eighteen thousand advisors, and so it's like you know it's 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 a rounding error the number of people that are actually currently held to the fiduciary responsibility um, relative to the people that are selling products that pay five and seven and twelve percent commissions, and so that's the that's the reason they're protecting a revenue stream, right? Well, supposedly they're working for the clients, but they 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 don't like the way they, the fiduciary rule is going to go through. I think I think the the only argument I've ever heard that makes any sense at all is, you know, we're not going to be able to service the small client if we are held to a fiduciary responsibility um, for every client. And now, the math is something simple. So, if I can't get a ten percent commission, if I can't get a ten percent commission on somebody that has, you know whatever, $10,000, then I have to get a 1% commission on somebody that has $100,000. That's the same revenue, right? Revenue generator. Right. So they're just saying, I, I want to be able to serve this small client and get paid a whole lot of money. I just, I think there's enough out there in terms of education, in terms of um, t- technological tools that will support the small client plenty. One whole trend you're seeing these days is people putting money into index funds and passive in- investments instead of Active management, where the fees are a lot lower for passive income, passive index. Do you are you a big believer in passive as opposed to active management? <laughs> I, those clients. This is what this is what. Yes, there's a huge uh, push into passive and and huge adoption um, publicly around the uh, passive indices and and things like this. There is no such thing as passive. Okay, that's. These clients who are using passive indices are trading passive indices, right? So they're they're saying today, um, I really like, and this is what they're saying today, it just by volume of dollars going into the S&P 500 passive indices. Uh, in every different fund company, every different ETF manufacturer has an S&P or three or four S&P type funds. They might, some might be a dividend focused uh, S&P oriented, S&P 500 oriented thing, or they might be a growth focused S&P or they slice and dice in different ways, but it's the S&P. So right now today, and for the last seven, eight years, you've had pretty much every investor say, I'm passive because I'm buying the S&P. But this will be the test in the next year, two years, three years, not predicting, there's going to be a time when the S&P performs really, really badly. And when that happens, those people who are investing passively will say, I don't like the S&P anymore. I'm going to go to the next thing that's going to do even better. That is the problem. It's, it's not that passive active is the big question. It's behavior. People 
generally, predictably, do the wrong things at the wrong time. Uh, so is that I think you were a, kind of a counterweight for that? Like, t yep. tell me what happened, for example, during 2008 when the markets were dropping sharply. How were you handling your clients then, who probably wanted to bail out? I was telling them, don't do that. I mean, in, in a nutshell, that's it. That's actually where the book comes from, frankly. I mean, I had a, I had a, a sit down with all my clients, uh, and she basically said, you know, Jonathan, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for this. And she, the, the original question was, you know, she puts money into her Keo every single year. And so she said, uh, uh, Jonathan, should I do it this year? This is March of 2009. Um, and should I do it this year? It seems, you know, it seems pretty, uh, seems pretty ugly out there. Maybe I shouldn't invest it this year. Maybe we should wait and see. And I just said, you know what? Your plan says you're going to put this amount away every year. I'm not saying I know how it's going to recover. I'm not saying I know when it's going to recover. I'm only saying I know that it's going to recover. Uh, and because of that, she said, you know what? This is really good. Thank you very much. You should write a book. And so, you know, she's a, uh, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And she wrote the forward to the book. So I, I started writing the book. <laughs> but people need handholding in the, in the tough times. And, and what, so that's the mistake they make is kind of not investing or dumping out. What mistakes are they making now when things are going really well? Great question. I, I think that we've gotten, and, I, and based on the questions I've gotten from clients and from a lot of the public talks I give, uh, the question you get from audiences is people are focused way too much domestically again. I mean, if you think it makes sense, right, the last seven years, the U.S. markets have done really, really, really well. Uh, international markets have not done as well. Uh, emerging markets are probably at, a, at, at the highest value point, meaning the lowest price point relative to the U.S., than they've been in 20 years. So that's something uh, – when that happens, everyone gets very, very attracted to the U.S., which drives the U.S. even up, further up because it's attractive, because people are talking about it, because it's – look at how well the S&P is doing. So people put more and more and more money into it. Now, those are, those are really good companies. Their earnings are actually growing. They might be just a little overvalued at this point, so they're not crazy overvalued like they were in either 2008 or in, in say, 2000 or 1999, 2000. Um, but emerging markets are even more attractive. Europe is even more attractive. Yes, it's ugly, but that's when it's ugly is when it's attractive to invest. And so I think if there's anything going on now that's kind of pointing towards a future bubble, it's people's love of domestic markets in the United States. So you will put together an asset allocation using ETFs or mutual funds or index funds putting some overseas, some domestically. Is that what you do with your RIA practice? That's basically it. And what kind of turnover do you have? What, how often do you change things in a classic portfolio? Um, so we do, we do a rebalance in, a, in a, just a classic asset allocation portfolio about twice a year. Um, and there's, you know, there's research that says once a year is enough, and there's research that says four times a year is better. Uh, and we, so we do it twice a year, sort of on a regular basis. And then we do it based on trigger point. So if, if, uh, so we have a pretty good size position in emerging markets right now. And if emerging markets goes up tremendously, then we're going to probably sell that back a little bit to pull some of that risk off the table. Uh, and so that, that's, so it's partially, it's too organized, you know, times per year we do it. And then in that third and fourth time, we say, okay, what do things look like? Is there anything that's really out of whack right here? If not, we just kind of let it go. Yeah. Do you think a lot of people trade too much? They're watching yeah. CNBC all day and their, their brokers are telling them things and they're in and out and that, that ends up hurting them? 
Uh, no doubt, all the research tells us that people trade too much and that, that costs them in long-term uh, performance. And why is that? Because of emotions or the fees? What, what makes people who are trading a lot, who are, who are paying a lot of attention, end up losing? Confirmation bias, overconfidence. Um, you know, we th we think we think we gather all this information out there from the world, and we make rational decisions. And and you know, when the psychologists do the tests, um, it turns out not to be the case. It turns out we all have these. We swim in this soup, and we have this habitual actions that we take. Uh, and the soup we swim in gives us information, and and our brain kind of filters through that information and says, hey these four data points kind of make me uncomfortable because I disagree with those. So I'm going to ignore those before we, before we actually think about it, our, our brain filters it out. These other three or four things, those, those seem to be more in line with what I think and what everyone else is doing. So I'm going to kind of read those really carefully. Um, and when that happens, you, you sort of get pulled in a direction and maybe that means, Hey, all these people are trading and there's an excitement about trading and our, and our culture is selection and timing, selection and timing. You know, every year there's a new list on, you know, Money Magazine. There's a new list from Kiplinger's every year, every month, every week online. You can find a new list of things you should buy and own. All the all the financial press is is telling you, hey, whatever you're doing right now, that's that's not right. You should do this thing over here instead. So we have a culture that gets us to make changes. And because we don't have a whole lot of financial literacy, because we don't understand, we think we should do something. And we're not sure what it is, but so we end up trading more. Yeah, and that ends up, and it has a lot of costs. It has tax implications. Absolutely. And you're often buying things after they're up and selling things after they're down. Emotionally, it's yeah. easier to do that, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you, you want to talk a little bit about financial education. What are things are you doing in that area to improve financial education, since a lot of people don't have much of it? Uh, Great question. I mean, so we work with, I've done presentations at colleges. I do a lot at uh, presentations at Cal and I do some presentations at the Graduate Theological Union, which is where I was a student. I created a, uh, an eight, uh, eight hour, you know, soup to nuts from this is what you do with your paycheck to legacy planning uh, presentation that I've given up. I've given up the Graduate Theological Union. And I've given snippets of it here and there, and I've recorded it all, and it's all available for free on our on Happiness Dividend. And I, I continue to to do the blog and try to do other presentations. I'm doing a I'm doing an ignite uh, five minute ignite presentation uh, next week, and that'll be you know that'll be live and that'll be that'll be uh, up available uh, publicly as well. Uh, just just trying to trying to highlight this this idea that timing selection isn't really um, beneficial. It's not, you're, you're not going to win at that game. If you, if you think you win at that, you're going to win at that game. That that's a sign of overconfidence. There's, there are people, and you've probably seen these pictures. There are people, hedge funds, um, you know, really, really highly educated PhDs in math and finance with seven or eight Bloomberg, Bloomberg terminals and, and screens. And, and they're looking at these things. And if you're trading, if you're trying to win trading, you're, you're playing against those people. And I'm not saying they're geniuses because I think they're just as overconfident as everyone else, but they've got a lot more tools, a lot faster abilities. And I think we win with patience and with mindfulness. I don't think we have to play in that game. So what is the ultimate impact of people not having financial education and being overconfident? Uh, not enough, not enough saving, too high a focus on portfolio, too little focus on plan, which which means we think that, um, and I see this all the time. A client, you know, a, a potential client will come into the office and 
they'll say, yeah, this is, this is the plan that my last advisor gave me. And they'll show me a pie chart. And the pie chart is just, you know, so, you know, so much in big companies, asset so much basically. asset allocation. Yeah, asset yeah. allocation. You know, and it has nothing to do with how much they're supposed to be saving. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, trade-offs they have to make. Hey, you're not going to be able to retire when you're 60. It has nothing to do with goal planning or anything like that. It's just, this is my plan, asset allocation. Uh, and I think that, by and large, people have adopted that. A plan is a portfolio. A portfolio is a plan. And that's totally not the case. It's not true. And so we, we have savings rates that are dismal. We have um, a, just way too much focus on optimizing the portfolio, optimizing the portfolio, optimizing the portfolio. And if you just take for granted that a great portfolio is going to look like crap three years out of 10, and it's those three years you're going to dump the portfolio. Remember, two years into that three year, you're going to say, all right, I'm going to do something else that's working better now. And then when you move to that new portfolio that's doing well now, when it does poorly, you're going to shift that away as well. So without a plan, without, without an anchor, um, when I meditate, my anchor is my breath. And mm -hmm. when, when I'm distracted by the cat or by the refrigerator or by a thought or you know, maybe going to write this article or whatever it is, I bring my mind back to my breath. That's mindfulness practice, you know, in its purest, simplest form. Personal finance works kind of the same way in that your plan is your focus. If you have a plan and understand the activities you're supposed to do to get from here to there, wherever your here is or wherever your there is, um, then you just do those things. And you come back to the plan. Yes. Come back to the plan. Yep. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jonathan DeYo. Uh, he's president of DeYo Wealth Management based in Berkeley, California. Uh, his website is happinessdividend.com, and his book is called Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jonathan Duyo. He's president of Duyo Wealth Management based in Berkeley, California. His website is happinessdividend.com, and his book is called Mindful Money, Simple Practices for Re Reaching Your Financial Goals and Increasing Your Happiness Dividend. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan. Thank you, Jordan. At the beginning of your book, you talk about various illusions 
uh, that people have. We don't have a chance to go through all of them. And you, you said that people live in an illusion factory. What are some of these illusions and what do you mean by the illusion factory? Uh, the, I mean, the illusion factory is, is <laughs> we seem to come up with new ones and new ones and new ones all the time, but there are a few that are sort of core. And so we highlight a few of them in the book. Uh, but the idea is we are constantly being pushed with new illusions and new things that that uh, uh, come out of our childhoods, come out of just you know being in our culture. and And I think that, you know, I don't want to I'm not trying to get political, but I think right now with uh, with a new president and with new uh, a new stance, a new direction, if you'll if you will, there's a lot of people that are saying, okay, this is actually really bad for me. and I, I just don't know if it's good or bad. I, I'm trying not to I'm trying to reserve judgment, but it's it's just the onset of a whole nother set of illusions. Um, uh, at the at the end of the day, you know, it's again, it comes back to what you do. It doesn't matter who is president for your portfolio and your long-term success because they're only going to be president for four years. That's one of the illusions is that politics can either make or break us individually on the ground. So once you realize it's an illusion, what do you do about it? How do you break through the illusion? Well, so, you know, once you realize it's illusion, illusion, you, you know, and so you, you go back to those behaviors, um, whether it's so we can think about uh, some specifics here, you know, we can get from here to there without a plan. So there's a lot of people that just behave in the world and, and just kind of, you know, take it as it comes and, and okay, you know, today I'm going to do this and, oh, here's some nice pair of shoes. I'm going to buy those shoes and, and, oh, I'm going to go out to dinner tonight and I'm going to have some drinks with some friends and, and they don't, they don't make planning a priority and they don't save any money. So once you realize that you, you can't get, you know, if you want to lose weight, you have to have a, you have to eat less calories and and burn more calories, right? It's the same thing in finance. If you if you want to actually have a uh, an asset base that one day will create an income stream that you don't outlive, you have to actually think about putting some money aside and investing that in a way that it'll grow for you, right? So, so you people have... kind of get distracted by shiny objects, and kind of go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, one of the other uh, illusions you have is that money gurus have a secret sauce. Kind of talk about that in relation to the media and how you should deal with all the TV and the radio and the newspapers and magazines, all the things that are constantly telling you things. What is the right way to handle all that? If if you have not gone through a financial planning process and you don't know what your trade-offs are going to be, the best thing you can do with that is ignore it entirely. Shut it off. Don't don't engage in any way. Once, once you've gone through sort of a planning process and you know what your trade-offs are, then you know what your behaviors are going to be, then you can engage it as entertainment. But not, none of these people, myself included, like we just talked about, you know, in the first segment here, we said, Jonathan, what do you, you know, what do you think, uh, you know, what kind of changes are you making? I, I said, well, you know, I think the U.S. is a little bit uh, overvalued and, and emerging markets and, inter and international is more attractive. So we're kind of tilting that way. And, and I don't know. Right. I, I could be on CNBC and talking about that, but I don't know. This is my sense. Right. This is, you know, and, and so if you have an idea and you can listen to people, then you can kind of glean from different opinions and say, OK, this makes a lot of sense. But if you don't have a plan, you don't know how would it how it intersects with your life. Um, you don't know how what Russia is doing or what President Trump is doing or what hap what's happening in China or, or what a minimum wage act would do to your life. Uh, and so until you have that, I, I would shut most of it out. Now, one way that people respond to all this today is with robo-advisors. And actually on your Happiness Dividend website, you have a 
but you say invest with your digital advisor. I assume that's some kind of a robo-advisor. The idea is that that's completely objective and it takes out the emotion out of it. Is that a solution for people to do it through a robo-advisor? I, I think it is. The, I, the danger is just that people don't have um, somebody or, or, or some mode of fighting the behavioral mistakes. So this is, this is I think, the big risk where most robo-advisors are untested. We don't know what's going to happen when we see, you know, a thing that happens every five to seven years in our history is a 33 plus percent decline. When we see that, are we going to see assets flow out of one robo advisor and maybe flow into a different robo advisor? And if we do, that's kind of suggesting that the robo idea isn't new in any real way. It's just less expensive which is fine. There's a value to that. Um, I think that right now, most of the, um, most of the, most of the directions, uh, of these robo advisors is to somehow find a way to bolt on advice. The biggest ones have found a way to bolt on advice or an advisor or a planner or something. And I think that's primarily to help people not do the thing that in the moment you really want to do, but will hurt you in the long term. The emotional aspect of it is is, yep. is hard for people to deal with. Yeah, I mean, right, the kind of the greed, fear uh, spectrum, I guess you might say. Right now, we're in the in heavy greed. In in two thousand eight, we're in heavy fear, and it's more than just the computer uh, that's going to help you get through that. Is what you're saying? Yep. 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 You also talk about you can get rich uh, if we spot an opportunity. That's another illusion. Um, is the, this is the kind of the shiny object syndrome again, you, you, you know, hear something and you're going to go for it without having a plan. Yes. And, and this can be, I mean, there, there, this is so many things. I mean, you think about right after, um, a good example of this is Paulson, John Paulson, who, who was, you know, one of the people that did the greatest trade in the world, uh, in 2008 was to short real estate, right? He, yeah. he, he made, he made a killing like incredible sums of money, thousands of percent while everyone else lost money. The very next year he saw massive amounts of inflows because now everyone saw how good he was with money. And the very next year he saw all kinds of people gave him more money. Hey, manage my money, manage my money, manage money. And that next year, I think I think he was down fifty percent. So, I, I I just think that we see gold is another example. Like we saw gold go up so high, you know, three hundred percent, while everyone else was losing money, and people then said, "Oh, look at gold," and they piled in a gold. Um, or the the issue is that whenever we see the one thing, and everyone piles into the one thing, it's just a matter of time before the value is gone out of the one thing. And the bubble is blown, and it's about to burst. This is why the fundamental of investing is broad diversification. Um, you avoid that craziness if you are broadly diversified. So, what bubbles are you seeing right now that are going to burst? You know, it's it's tough to see bubbles before they burst. I mean, I, I talked to, I mentioned <laughs> earlier, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, that uh, I think the U.S. is slightly overvalued. Is it a bubble? I don't know. I mean, it's. I, 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 I maintain that the, the things that you do to avoid the bubble because you can't see it, uh, because of overconfidence, because of confirmation bias, because of all these things, uh, is you stay broadly diversified all the time. Did you see the 2007-2008 housing bubble as a bubble at the time? Great question. I, I had an inkling. I had, I had, a, I had a, actually many dinners with a friend of mine, Mr. Cagno, uh, and we sat down and we said, okay, how do we, how do we when this thing blows up, 
how do we profit from it? And at the time, there was you know a single real estate index that was under untested, uh, and I didn't. I don't have any ties to or people I know at Goldman Sachs. I don't know how to you know create a swap contract or any of these kinds of things. So I ended up not doing it. And we saw that things were overvalued, and many people actually not many, but there were people out there that said, "Hey, these things are overvalued," and and you know we maybe reduced a little bit of risk, but then everything went down in value, right? So we, it's not that we didn't lose any money. We lost less money than the S&P 500, but, but you know, we still, we still got hit by it just like anyone else did. But the key there is, you know, we weren't, we, we were doing our natural, um, um, rebalancing, you know, taking some risk off the table when it's up. And then when it fell, we rebalanced in, like we took our safe money that didn't go down and we bought things that, had gone down and, and you repeat that process often enough over a 20, 30, 40, 50 year lifetime of investing. And that's where you get a little bit of benefit. That rebalancing. Yeah. One of your other illusions is there's plenty of time to plan for retirement. Uh, so people put it off or what, what's the downside of, of waiting till later to start doing retirement planning? So the, the <laughs> compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. And, you know, I, there's an article that came out recently that said Warren Buffett made, made two thirds of his, you know, his assets came in the last 10 years of his life. And that's not because he got smarter in those 10 years. It's because his money is compounding. Um, and if you just, anyone can look at a compounding chart and it's just a, it's a curve that accelerates to the upward side as you go, uh, as you age. And so if you know, if you don't start and, and just put your, $250 a month in every month for the first 20 years, you don't get that upside. You have to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep adding to it, keep adding to it, keep adding to it uh, to get that um, really wonderful uh, increase over time. So people start too late and yep. therefore they don't have enough time for compounding is what you're saying. That's right. So is it possible to catch up if you start late? You have to save more. Of return? No. <laughs> no, you have to save more. That's only that's the only way, right? And that, this is one of the problems we see when people come in with, with uh, um, a quote unquote plan, which is a which is an asset allocation. You know, they've been told, hey, you know, yeah, you, you don't have enough to retire, um, but we're going to make it up with performance. No, you don't have to save anymore, right? But you will, we'll make it up with performance. And it's easy. It's easy for an advisor, it's easier for an advisor to tell a client, no, no, you don't have to save more. We can make it up with performance because that makes clients, oh, wonderful. I don't have to save more. I can still live the way I've always lived. They don't, we don't, I'm not going to enforce a trade-off on somebody. But if, you, if you're not going to make trade-offs, you're not going to get the good stuff that you want. So you're the bearer of bad news in many cases then. Oftentimes. They'd rather, right? They'd rather hear that I can make it up in performance. Absolutely. It's so much easier, but it's also a lie. <laughs> A good combination. Okay. Very good. We're <laughs> going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jonathan Deyo. He's the president of Deyo Wealth Management. That's spelled, by the way, D-E-Y-O-E, -E, uh, based in Berkeley, California. His website is happinessdividend.com, and his book is called Mindful Money. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. So this is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jonathan Duyo. He's the president of Duyo Wealth Management based in Berkeley, California. His website is happinessdividend.com. And his book is called Mindful Money. Welcome back to the show, Jonathan. Thanks, Jordan. One area you see a lot is how women and wealth kind of work together. Are, are there special problems or challenges that women have in dealing with money and, that you see from your clients? Oh, no, no question. Um, so the, the fundamental challenge is one of demographics. Women generally uh, are more often caretakers. They are more often going to outlive those that they caretake for. They are more often going to make less. I think it's, you know, depending on the study you read, it's 71 or, or, or 77 or, or 79 or 81 cents on the dollar that a, that a gentleman makes. Um, so they're going to make less, they're going to work less time, and they're going to end up with less in terms of Social Security benefits, they're going to less in terms of a pension they might have from a company. Um, and they're also going to be probably sole decision makers over the finances uh, later in life. So they're going to have to be um, more well-educated because they're going to be alone in the process uh, more likely at some point. And so because of that, we see we see women control more and more and more of the assets, but are far more conservative in their investments, which is probably okay, except for those women who aren't investing in the things that will provide that income stream that will last them the rest of their lives. So their assets are not growing enough to provide for their longer lives typically. Right. I mean, they get a couple things much, they get a couple things better. The gender, the female gender gets a couple things a lot better than men. They don't trade as much generally. They save more generally. Um, so those are great things. But when they save more, they're not investing in uh, equities. They are investing in you know, fixed income and CDs. And, and this, is a, this is a broad, broad, broad generalization. So I know there's yeah. exceptions to every rule. But because of that, those assets don't grow as much to spin off the income stream they're going to need 30, 40, 50 years from now. So say you have a woman coming in, say she's a widow, she's got a decent amount of money, but it's all in bonds and CDs. How do you kind of get her out of her safety zone and, and get her investing things that are more aggressive to provide for? Uh, obviously, it depends a lot on, on the specific client and, and age and all those kinds of things, uh, life expectancy. But, but you know, in general, I'm going to ask the question, you know, what, what are you most afraid of? And are you most afraid of that today you're gonna, your million is going to be 800000 or are you most afraid of that when you're 85, you're not going to have an income? Um, and it's really a choice of risks. And for us, it's always about the trade-off. 
and I'm going to be, you know, in the planning process, I'm going to say, hey, we're going to invest in this kind of a portfolio. When you invest in this kind of a portfolio, it's likely that you're going to see this kind of a decline. And when I say likely, I mean, you know, uh, 93% of the time it'll be in this range, but 7% of the time it could be outside this range and it could be even worse, right? So there's possibility that this is going to be very, very painful. However, if you don't invest in this portfolio, the downside of this other way is this. You don't have enough money for an income stream for the rest of your life. So the biggest um, risk that they often don't, don't see is outliving their money. Totally. Losing their money. Yep. Yep. And because that money doesn't grow, they outlive their money is what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in your book, you, you talk about what you call your happiness pillars. We won't have a chance to get to all of them, but one of your first happiness pillars is health. What do you mean by that? Oh my goodness. So, um, can I tell a story? Do we have, I don't know how much sure. time we have. So when I was, let's see here, my son was, um, two and my daughter was not yet born and I was going to go skiing. I was going to go on a ski trip with my folks <clears throat> and my folks going to watch my son, my wife and I are going to go skiing. And I, we got up there, we're getting ready to go on the mountain. And I was like, Oh my God, I forgot my ski pants. Now I love my dad. My dad is like, he's been a hero of mine. I, I love him dearly. He's overweight. And so I, I, he said, here, why don't you try mine on? And I thought to myself, there's no way those are going to fit. Uh, and I slipped them on and they were tight. So I'm six foot five. So, you know, you can't see that through the, through this program. So I'm six foot five. I can hide weight pretty, pretty easily because I'm so tall, but my father's pants were too tight for me. And so what I did was I embarked upon a, that was a wake up call. My son is two. I've got a daughter on the way. Um, I have to change my behavior so that I can keep up with them. I can live healthier. I can live longer. I can coach soccer. I can do the things that I wanted to do. I envisioned myself doing as a father. Okay. So when I did that, um, this was, you know, what is it? 2006, 2006, 2007, that, in that range. So a couple things happened. Um, I started working out every single day. I started feeling so much better about myself. This is an anecdote. This is me. There's a ton of research that supports this, but but I started working out every single day. I started being a lot more careful about what I ate. My energy went up. My flexibility went up. My strength went up. My confidence went up. I felt, I felt like I was better looking. I was more attractive. My clients commented on it. My wife commented on it. Um, uh, I had more energy. I could work harder. I was smarter. I could, you know, everything in my life got better. Literally everything. And and when I do a, a presentation to my industry and they say, Jonathan, what's the one thing that we can do to be more successful financial advisors? I say, start eating right, start um, exercising every single day, um, start drinking water uh, and and sleeping, you know, seven and a half, eight and a half hours a day. That's, okay. And they're like, what? No, absolutely. That's not in their, their broker training classes probably. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs> <clears throat> Your next happiness pillar is engagement. What do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, you, you need to, it's, it's not enough to pursue stuff. Uh, you need to find something in your life that's going to engage you and pull you forward. And it's going to be a struggle and it's going to be hard, but you're going to wake up every day and say, I love doing this. But, you know, talking to, I mentor some students at Cal. And when those students come in and they say, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be, you know, a hedge fund manager. Or I'm going to go into this. I'm asking them why. And well, it's because my friends do it and because my parents expect me to, or because my dad did this or no one, it seems like we're very, we're very bad at sort of figuring out what we want for our lives. Uh, and until we do that, until we go inside, it's going to be very t difficult for us to really engage and find that thing that we're going to wake up and struggle through. And that's the truth. Like no matter what we choose to do, 
we're going to struggle. There's going to be stuff that is hard and people are going to tell us no. And so why, why not do the thing you'll love to do? Cause that's the thing that will pull you through the struggle. One of your other happiness pillars is meaning. What do you mean by meaning? Um, wow. I'm, I'm now, I'm now sort of pulling those happiness pillars together, uh, <laughs> uh overlap and stuff. So, so I think in meaning we're, we're, you know, talking about, uh, oh, wow. I, I actually, I'm actually, I'm drawing a blank currently. Honestly, <laughs> there is no meaning, I guess. Okay. Well, we'll go on. Accountability is one of your other pillars. Yes. So accountability is, these are the things that I want to accomplish in my life. And, and, uh, if these are the things I want to account uh, that, that I want to do with my life, I need to have some way of holding myself accountable to the actions to get me, move me towards those things. Because it's, it's easy to say, I want my, my son is 12. Uh, he is a great soccer player. Um, but he doesn't, you know, juggle every day or, you know, shoot goals every day or do these kinds of things that would be the thing that one would do if one really wanted to be a professional soccer player, which he says, dad, one day I want to be a professional soccer player. And I, I remind him, Hey, this is, this is what the kids do when they're 12 and 13 and 14, when they want to be professional soccer players. And, uh, if you're not going to do those things, you know, I can help you. I can hold you accountable to those things, but you need to figure out a way to hold yourself accountable. And if you're not going to hold yourself accountable, then I would argue that that's not really what you want. Um, so accountability is the thing that holds you to what it is that you say you want. And one of your last pillars is generosity. Uh, how, how can that make your life happier? Well, it's tons, there's actually a research study that was done at Cal um, that said, okay, you can you go down the street, give people $5. Um, if you give this person $5 and say, Hey, take this $5, spend it, buy yourself a cup of coffee, you know, buy yourself, uh, you know, a candy bar, whatever, you, something you want that's for you. Or another, another subset of people are giving this $5. Hey, do this, take this $5, go buy a cup of coffee for somebody else. When you call those people back two days later and you ask them, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, how happy are you based on blah, 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 blah. The people that were generous that gave the $5 to other people had the had the bigger delta, had a bigger sh shift upwards in their happiness. The idea is when you give, you actually feel better about yourself. Uh, it's, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying give because you'll feel better about yourself. I'm saying we should, uh, be generous. And when we are generous, we generally feel better about ourselves. Yes. In about a minute or so we have left, just want to kind of sum up the difference in financial, in, in people's lives, if they're following your mindful money principles as opposed to what's typically being pushed by Wall Street these days. Uh, they'll have long-term better outcomes. Uh, you know, short-term, I have no idea, no one can predict, but they'll have long-term better, better outcomes. If they, if they have a plan, if they made the trade-offs, and if they stick with their plan, um, and by making the trade-offs, that means, hey, sometimes you're not going to be able to do the things you want to do. And, you know, in the book, every single chapter, we have one step in the plan. At the end of the book, you have a plan. Uh, and you don't have to call me for it. Just there's the book, you know, go through it chapter by chapter. And if you do that, and at the end of the, at the, end of the book, you have a plan um, and you stick to that plan, you're going to have better outcomes than the person that doesn't have a plan. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Jonathan Duyo. He's president of DeYo Wealth Management. You can find out more about him at happinessdividend.com and also his book, which is called Mindful Money. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Jonathan. Thank you, Jordan.
Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.